If you've ever been able to help someone in need, then you know the truth of Jesus' words. It is better to give than to receive. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his focus on stewardship by sharing some tools and tips for becoming an enthusiastic giver so you can enjoy the many blessings that result. Listen as David introduces today's special message, Jesus' Forgotten Blessing. Well, friends, thank you for joining us. At the end of the month of January, we take a few days and talk about what the Bible says about stewardship, not just about giving, but just about how you use your resources. Very important thing for us to understand. During the month of January, we are offering as our special resource uh, the book by O.S. Hawkins called The Prayer Code. O.S. Hawkins spent more than 20 years serving as a pastor. He's now the president of Guidestone Financial Resources, the world's largest Christian screened mutual fund. He's the best-selling author of the Code series, including The Joshua Code, The Jesus Code. These books have sold over 1.5 million copies. He speaks regularly at various conferences and churches. He's my friend, and I had dinner with him last week, and we talked a lot about this new book, The Prayer Code, and how he prays, and we all pray that God will use it to encourage all of us uh, to be more energized in the, in, the, in the matter of praying. So this book is yours. It's yours for the asking. During this month, there's just a couple of days left. So if you've been meaning to, to get this book, this is the time you should do it. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point to help us with what we're doing on the radio and the cost of airtime and production. And we'll send you this book as soon as we get your gift and your request. Be sure to ask for the prayer code when you send your gift today. Now, let's get started with part one of Jesus' Forgotten Blessing. It was early December 2019. A man named Jack and his family prepared to board an overnight international flight to New York City. Before boarding the plane, Jack had struck up an instant friendship with Violet, an 88-year-old woman waiting for the same flight. Must have been there that he learned of his new friend's wish and determined to make it come true. After boarding, Jack left his spacious seat in first class, walked the long aisle to find Violet, seated in economy class next to the restroom, Jack offered to trade places with Violet for the flight, or rather, his first-class bed for her non-reclining seat. And she accepted. Her wish was to fly in style sometime before she died. (laughs) Flight attendant Leah Amy witnessed it all and later said of Violet's reaction, you should have seen her face when I tucked her in bed after supper. (laughs) As much as Violet was blessed by that act of generosity, I suspect Jack was even more blessed. After all, doesn't the Bible say it is more blessed to give than to receive? In other words, the giver is happier than the getter. (laughs) Has that been your experience? The truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive might seem like a paradox in the world in which you and I live today, where everybody seems to be driven by the almighty dollar. It goes against our nature, our selfish makeup. As one person said, when it comes to giving, some people will stop at nothing. (laughs) But here is what research tells us. 
In one study, students who randomly assigned to spend money on others experienced greater happiness than those who were assigned to spend money on themselves. Scientists have also shown how giving increases health. It gives us a sense of meaning. It improves immune function and even slows down aging. Amen to that. (laughs) Research has even shown that giving money or time to charity increases well-being as much as if you were doubling your household income. An old Chinese proverb says it this way, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, go find somebody to help and help them. It is better to give than to receive. It's a common phrase today, but did you know where in the Bible it is found? I would imagine if I told you to go look for it, you would probably look in the Gospels, but it's not there. Jesus said it, but it's not in the Gospels. It only appears one time in the Word of God, and that is in Acts chapter 20. Very interesting chapter. One of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts, because here in this chapter, Paul has gathered the Ephesian elders together from the church in Ephesus, his famous loved church, and he is saying goodbye to them. He's going to tell them that he will never see them again. And he gives them a little talk about what he thinks is important. He tells them what he wants them to remember about him and about their future. Here's what he said. Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 35. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. What did he mean by that? Paul was a tent maker. He didn't have a salary. He didn't get any kind of stipend. He earned his way to preach the gospel by making tents in his off hours and use the resources from that product for himself, according to the text, and for others. He went on to say in this verse, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. Now listen to this. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's where it is in the Bible, the only place. Paul's final words to these believers in Ephesus were to remind them of Jesus' words, that a great blessing comes from giving. Paul wanted them to experience the deep joy of giving, not the small thrill of taking. In verse 35, he uses the word blessed. He said, blessed are those who give. The word blessed is also translated in the Bible by the word happy. Happy are those who give. It was used in classical Greek to describe the enjoyment of the Greek gods, which was much superior to men. In essence, Paul and Jesus were saying that givers experience an enjoyment that is similar to the enjoyment of God. Happy are the givers. Interestingly enough, we don't have any written record of Jesus saying what Paul said that he said 
in the book of Acts. It's not anywhere in the Gospels. Somebody said, well, if it's not in the Gospels, Jesus didn't say it. No. If you go to the end of the book of John, the last verse says something like this. These are just a few of the things that Jesus did and said. There are many more. In fact, it says, if you recorded everything Jesus did and said, it would take books that would fill up the whole world. That's what John said. So in some of those words that are not recorded in the Gospels, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It must have been something he was famous for because it was well understood and known. These were the words of Jesus. Happy are the givers, Jesus said. If you want to know joy, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, learn the wonderful experience of giving. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, Jesus didn't say it's not blessed to receive. How many of you know it's also blessed to receive? No, it's wonderful to receive. We all love gifts, and we like to have people do nice things for us. That's a blessing. But Jesus said, if you want a blessing that's greater than that blessing, be on the other end of the giving cycle. Be the one who's giving the gift. So I thought I would take some time today because I love this passage and I love this concept. This is really not about tithing. Certainly tithing is covered in this message. But I want to excite you about what happens when you get excited about giving. Why is it that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive? I'm going to give you some reasons that I have called out from the Scripture. Number one, giving influences your focus. Matthew 6, 21. Would you like to discover where your focus is today? What is the focus of your life? Well, here's how you do that. This is a little experiment. Find your checkbook, open it up, and read what's on the stubs. What have you done with your income in recent days? You see, where you spend your money, that's your focus. I didn't make that up. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, what's the rest of a class? There your heart will also be. You want to know where your heart is, where your focus is, where your treasure is? Your heart and your treasure are married together. Your treasure is like an anchor that pulls your heart in after it. Why do you think God wants us to put our treasure in heaven? Just stop and think with me about that for a moment. Do you really think that he needs our money? He owns the wealth in every mine. He owns the cattle on the hills. He owns you. He owns your soul. He says all souls are mine. He doesn't need our money. He created our money. He created the world in which we live. Everything, the world and the earth belongs to him. So he doesn't need our treasure. What he wants more than anything else, he wants our hearts. And he knows if we put our treasures in heaven, then our hearts will follow. That's what he wants. Sometimes we might think that we will become better givers if we become more godly. I've actually heard people say that. When I become a little more spiritual pastor, then I'll be a better giver. No, you become more godly by giving. You don't wait until you're more godly and then to give. The opposite is true. Giving will help you grow in godliness. It will get your treasure in heaven. It will get your focus on the things that are spiritual. Where your heart is, your treasure is. I promise you, it will change your heart. Perhaps the most well-known example of the power of generosity to change us is Charles Dickens' classic tale, A Christmas Carol. The central character is Ebenezer Scrooge. 
He starts out as a hater of everything and everyone. Bah humbug, he is known to say. Dickens describes Scrooge in his book as secret and self-contained and as solitary as an oyster. (laughs) But by the end of the story, Scrooge awakens on Christmas Day a happy man. And here's what he says in the play. I am as light as a feather. I am as happy as an angel. I am as merry as a schoolboy. What brought about this change? Well, you know, he had a series of dreams that prompted in him the desire to be generous to other people. Instead of becoming just a taker and a getter, he became a giver. When we give to the things that are close to the heart of Jesus, our hearts become closer to Jesus' heart. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Our heart is for the reaching of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess what? That's where our treasure is too. And God has blessed it, and he will bless it in your life as well. So giving influences your focus. Where you put your money, that's where you end up putting your heart. Number two, giving ensures your faithfulness. And it's a challenge for every Christian today to resist getting caught up in the materialism of the world. I don't know of a better way to resist materialism than to be a generous giver. When you put God first in your life and you begin to pay him the tithe of your possessions, it helps you to keep your priorities in order. I cannot tell you how this works. I just know that it does. When you put God first, everything else just gets in sync. I don't know how to say it. I don't even know how to explain it. When you organize your life around God and his priorities and you put him first, then all of a sudden the rest of it starts to make sense and you are much better at what you're doing. And the more faithful you become, the less you are bended by the emotional pull of the world. We were watching a movie on television the other night and I timed how long it was between the scenes. Six commercials in one break. Have you noticed that? They just go one right after the other. All of them are things you don't need. (laughs) And most of them are things for which you have no money. But you get bombarded by it. And they make them so cute and clever. I mean, I could tell you some of my favorites, but I won't. And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you're going to the phone or you're doing this, and then you have buyer's remorse. (laughs) And you say, why in the world did I do that? I don't even need that. That's the world in which we live. We live in a world that constantly is pulling on us to take our resources and use them in ways that are not productive and certainly not redemptive. When you put God first and you give to God, he helps take that away. Money has a pull on you, and if you're not careful, it will get a hold of your soul, and it will drag you in a direction you don't want to go. But when you put God first and you give to him, something happens in your life. Here's what Paul told Timothy when you're preaching next time in your church, and you've got rich people in your church, you've got people that have wealth. Here's what you should tell them. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty and not to trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. This is what he's saying to those who have wealth. Let them do good that they will be rich in good works ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. 
Men and women, if you give the Lord a minimum of 10% of all he has entrusted to you, you'll find it easier to trust in the living God and to be rich in good works, ready to give. Here's how Tracy Altler came to understand this principle. Thanksgiving Day, 1993, and Tracy was away from her family, living in an apartment on the lower end of a town, a single mom relying on welfare and food stamps to get by. Standing in her apartment and looking at the sparse collection of canned goods on her shelf, Tracy heard a knock at the door, and she couldn't think, what in the world? Who's coming to my door on Thanksgiving Day? Well, she opened the door, and standing there was a man from a local restaurant with the delivery, a full Thanksgiving dinner, complete with all the trimmings. He said it was from an anonymous donor, and before Tracy could ask any questions, he handed it over, and he left. Surprised and amazed, Tracy decided she needed to know who to thank for this timely gift. However, she couldn't figure it out. She called her parents, but it wasn't them. She asked her friends. Nobody knew. Years went by. She still had no idea who the mysterious Thanksgiving dinner had come from. In time, she moved out of her apartment and began working as a nurse in a local hospital. And then seven years later, a woman named Margot was admitted to Tracy's care. Margot had multiple sclerosis, and her condition was becoming critical. Tracy remembered Margot from her time on welfare. Margot had actually lived in the same apartment building as Tracy had lived in back then, and it was clear that Margot didn't have much longer to live. Three days before her death, Margot took Tracy's hand in hers and in a frail voice whispered two words, Happy Thanksgiving. That one gift had a massive impact on Tracy's life. She and her husband became foster parents, and they adopted a son. She often leaves $5 Starbucks gift cards with little notes for her coworkers to find just to make their day better. And one year later, Tracy and her family made a New Year's resolution to find 100 opportunities to give to other people. Tracy has become a giver, and she doesn't give because she has to. She gives because she wants to, because she's discovered the joy that comes when you give. Giving influences your focus, it ensures your faithfulness, and it inspires your family. I would imagine if I ask how many of you learned really how to give to God and how to tithe and all of that from growing up in a family where that was. I was thinking about this and I almost forgotten about it. Before we would go to Sunday school every week, my mother would give us all some money to put in the offering. And most always, it got there. <laughs> I heard about a little girl. Her mother gave her two nickels, and, and she was supposed to put one of them in the offering, and one was for hers. And she was on her way to Sunday school, and she lost one and went down in the sewer. And she said, oh, my goodness, God's nickel just went down there. <laughs> We learn how to give from our family, don't we? Our parents model that. Your parents model it. We want to model that to our children. Somebody said, you don't get a grade for being a parent until you're a grandparent and see what your grandkids are doing. And when you see your grandkids want to give, you realize that somewhere along the way, the giving instinct was born in their heart along with the hearts of your children. If you want your children to grow up and to know the blessing of God and to experience benevolence and abundance, it'll start with you. It's not a lesson that's so much taught as it is caught. 
You can't teach it with words. You have to teach it with your life. Now, not only will giving inspire you biologically in your family, it will also inspire your church family. In fact, there's an experience in the New Testament where this is illustrated. It happened in Macedonia. The believers there began accumulating money for Paul to take to the suffering church in Jerusalem. That's recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul uses the actions of the Macedonians to inspire the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9, he says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What Paul was saying is, I'm not telling you you have to give to this offering, but I want to tell you what the Macedonians are doing. And we inspire each other by what we do. We don't do it because we get up and announce what we've given. But how many of you know, word gets out, people know, people know who the generous people are, and we're inspired by them because we see in them a joy that comes from being a giver. In his book, I Like Giving, Brad Forsma tells this story. Embracing generosity, he said, as a lifestyle can become a healthy inspiration for those around you. For me, one of the most fulfilling aspects of giving has been watching generosity spread to my family. Recently, my daughter, Gracie, came up to me and said, Daddy, I have a problem. She grabbed my hand and walked me down the steps into our basement. I have too many, she said as she pointed to the Mickeys and Minnies neatly arranged on her blanket. Well, Gracie, you have a few options, I said. You can keep them all or you could give some of them away. Little Gracie walked into the playroom and pulled out her Minnie Mouse suitcase. She laid it on the floor, unzipped it, and carefully placed three stuffed Disney characters in the suitcase. After she finished zipping up her gift, she hurried over to me and gave me a great big hug. With tears running down her face, she said, I feel so good. They are happy tears, Daddy. Later that night, after we had taken the gifts to the hospital, Gracie said, Daddy, this is the best day of my life. Even kids figure it out. Even kids know it's so much fun to help somebody else instead of always being helped yourself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that, and it's so true. Well, nobody can find out where he said it. We just know he did, and uh, the Bible says he did. And we have found that to be true in so many ways. You know, during the COVID-19 we had set up a food distribution center here as a part of our ministry, and we were, we were giving uh, food um, portions to hundreds of people every Friday. They would come through our parking lot, open their trunk, and we'd load their trunk up with a box of food and, and bread and, and milk. And, you know, it, it meant so much to the people that received the gifts, but I have to tell you, I watched the people in our congregation who gave of themselves for four or five hours on Friday to pack boxes and distribute them. And I promise you, the people who got the gifts couldn't have been more blessed than those who gave them. There is nothing you can compare it to. The realization that God has equipped you and enabled you to be a, a source of blessing to someone else, especially during these early days of the new year. We should ask God to help us be truly sensitive to that privilege and uh, take advantage of it every time we get, a, we get a chance. Friends, we are so thankful for your faithfulness and your giving to Turning Point. 
some of the letters I get from you uh, break my heart because many of you give not out of abundance, uh, but out of poverty, really. And it means so much to me to know that you believe in what we do. You believe so much that you want to be a part of it through your giving. God sees what you do. We are blessed by it. That's why we've been able to see such incredible growth over these years to the point where we're touching just about every corner of the world with the gospel. So thank you. But I already know you've been blessed. That's what the scripture says. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I hope you'll have a great day. Don't forget to order the prayer book. I keep reminding you because we're just down to the last couple of days. This is truly a great resource, and you don't want to miss having your copy of it. So ask for it when you send your gift today. Just say, Dr. Jeremiah, please send me O.S. Hawkins' book, The Prayer Code, and it'll be on its way to you before you know it. And then be sure and join us tomorrow for part two of Jesus' Forgotten Blessing. For more information about Dr. Jeremiah's special messages on stewardship, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of O.S. Hawkins' latest book, The Prayer Code. 40 scripture prayers every believer should pray. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several durable and stylish cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our series on stewardship here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. Turning Point's new 365-day devotional, Every Day with Jesus, is available now. Filled with inspirational readings from Dr. David Jeremiah and paired with Scripture, it will encourage you each day in your walk with God. This popular resource is yours with a gift of any amount in support of this program. And when you give a generous gift of $120 or more, you'll receive four copies so you can share them with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Life can seem like a dark tunnel. We see a small light ahead, but don't know if it's the end of the tunnel or an oncoming freight train. 
None of us really knows what is coming next in life. Therefore, we have to choose whether to walk in fear or by faith. Life should be a discovery. Even though we can't see the future, God can. And the psalmist wrote that God's word is like a lamp unto our feet. Sometimes we have just enough light to take the next step while trusting Him for the future. So if you're walking into something unknown today, trust God to guide you. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's step-by-step guidance on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.